And we're back with another episode of Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. My name is Creek, along with both of my co-hosts, Maria Jose Munita and Mario Socorro. So today we are talking about the intellectual credibility in the Enneagram. Um, and you're like, wait, I thought the Enneagram was credible. <laughs> Insert record scratch here. So, Mario, what what possesses you to to think that the Enneagram is not credible? What's what's inspiring this episode? So, the Daily Digest of the Atlantic magazine on Valentine's Day, February fourteenth, starts off with this: like astrology signs and the Enneagram, the psychological framework of attachment theory has become a popular blueprint for understanding the self. And then the article goes on to challenge some of the uses of attachment theory, um, which are challenges that I think are appropriate, quite frankly, from what I see, mm. you know, the way the attachment theory is being used. But what struck me, like a knife in the heart or a uh, ice pick in the ear, uh, was the That's likening. Very specific. It's, it's very specific. <laughs> yes. Welcome, welcome to my mind he has here. Thought a lot um, about it. You can. You can yes. tell. <laughs> If I could articulate how this hurts, it's going to be an ice pick on the left earlobe. Yes. yes. No, no, no. I'm talking right into the ear canal. Into the ear the, canal. Uh, All right. um, so, sorry, listener. I uh, didn't mean to start us off this way. But yeah, well, you get the, uh, the sense of my peak at this issue to see the Enneagram uh, compared to astrology. So I thought it would be good for us to have a conversation, particularly amongst people who pride themselves as critical thinkers. Critical thinkers. I mean, look, we teach programs on clear thinking skills for leaders. Okay, we talk a lot about critical thinking in our programs and in this. And here we are also teaching a model of personality that's being associated with astrology. So mm -hmm. I thought it would be good to have this conversation. Yeah, and it's not just this article. I mean, this is a concern that we've had over the years and most of the times have that in mind when doing things uh, publicly. So how can we position the Enneagram in a way that makes it more credible? Because we know mm. that there's a lot out there which goes kind of in the other direction. Now it is understandable that people do group the Enneagram astrology, numerology, all the other things out there in the same in the same boat. It's it's understandable. Maybe we can start with. Uh, I mean, I see astrology and enneagram used together a lot out there. And for those that find, I mean, this podcast is not about astrology, but can we contrast, in your opinion, what those differences are, um, and then we can kind of go from there. There's, as you say, it's understandable that people group it and that try to compare it because it's all different attempts to explain human nature. Right. From different times in history and different coming from different places, but it's all a way in which people try to explain why we do what we do, how, why we are how we are. So mm -hmm. then I think people assume that if they're all trying to explain the same thing, you can use them together or they should be related right. and they don't have to. That makes sense. Also, I think the criticism is justified 
based on a lot of what I see out there in the way that the Enneagram's being used. Okay, there's a lot of silliness. And we've talked about this before on the, is it a show? Do we call it the show? We've talked <laughs> yeah, about this on the show. show. <laughs> Look, uh, it's on the our podcast. thing. <laughs> so we can, <laughs> we can call it a show. <laughs> so we can call it whatever we want. What is this we're doing? Right. <laughs> what is uh, life? <laughs> Uh, we've talked about this topic of how, you know, the Enneagram being an open source model and not being something that's controlled and regulated and, you know, restricted, which all of which I think is good. Mm -hmm. We get some uses of it that are kind of silly and we get it associated with things that I think are kind of silly. Now, I emphasized I think because of acknowledging mm -hmm. that not everybody does think that. And yes, I remember years and years and years ago when I was early learning about the Enneagram, there's a magazine, used to be, called The Mountain Astrologer. And they did three or four issues comparing the Enneagram with astrology. And I bought them all, right? I, you know, I, I don't think I have them anymore. But so... And there are a couple of ways to approach this question, one deeper and one more superficial, right? So the more superficial one is, is this Enneagram thing just a bunch of crap, right? Like all due respect to astrologers, I would suggest astrology is, okay? It's just, you know, it's, it's bunk in my mind. It's pseudoscience, but that does not mean that it's not useful. And I think it was Skeptical Inquiry magazine some years ago did an article, pretty famous in the skeptic world. Uh, does astrology have to be real to be useful or not, right? So mm. if it helps me, uh, I'm, I'm a Leo, okay, according to astrology. Big surprise there, right? Uh, so one can say, well, of course he is. He's an eight, right? What else is he going to be? And one could make the argument that understanding the traits of the Leo and looking at myself through that lens can be helpful in me understanding myself. When we switch that to the claim of, well, the reason you are the way you are is because you were born on August 22nd. Mark that date on your calendar, please. Big date. Um, yeah, big date, yeah. So, um, so that, to me, is where we run into credibility issues, okay? So does something have some sort of explanatory value, perhaps, while still being pseudoscience, okay? And so we can ask the same thing about the Enneagram. Is this useful, okay? But then we can look deeper. And when we start to look deeper, we start to ask ourselves what kind of claims are being made here. In astrology, you're making claims that the position of celestial bodies have an influence on terrestrial events, okay? That's a science claim. There's no evidence to support those sort of claims, okay? The Enneagram usually, and certainly the way we use it, doesn't make those sort of causal or fact claims. Because okay? we deliberately avoid them. It's Yes, we do. We do. Yeah. Yes. Um, now, so what then are we claiming when we start to use the Enneagram? Okay. That's the question where we need to start 
that we need to start addressing as we discuss this topic and whether it is pseudoscience bunk or not. So let me clarify what I'm saying about astrology, okay, before we get into talking about the Enneagram, okay? Because mm -hmm. again, something does not have to be scientifically true to be useful, okay? Mm -hmm. And when we start saying is astrology accurate or not, it's kind of a false question, right? It's like saying is math accurate or not, okay? Mm -hmm. Because, well, it depends. It depends on specifically what claim is being made. And we have to analyze the claim, not the broad bucket of what we're talking about, right? So when I say that I think astrology is bunk, what I should be saying is, I do not believe that the position of celestial bodies has any influence on someone's nature or the events as they occur on earth mm -hmm. okay i just don't see any evidence of it okay now are there a peop are there people that we could put into the bucket of leos or pisces or whatever and say they share certain characteristics perhaps okay perhaps mhm mm in fact, my, my wife recently uh, started working again after being out of the, the workplace for a lot of years. And I was in the office with her where she is. And the other women in the, in the office started asking about astrology signs. And it just so happened that of the other three women, all three of them were Leos also, like me. Now, my wife... Her, her birthday's in March. I don't know what that is. Pisces, maybe. Did these other three women and I share personality characteristics that could have been labeled related to Leo? Perhaps. But I also knew them well enough to understand that we're dramatically different people, hmm. those three women and I. Okay? So it's all about what claim are we making? And then can we measure that claim and can we see that claim being played out consistently over time. Hmm. And with astrology, I don't know, maybe yes, maybe no. And with the Enneagram, okay. there are a lot of claims that are made that yes. it's so reasonable that it looks like astrology. And yes. it's so easy to fall into the, the temptation of describing things as being caused by your number and your essence. I mean, there's so many aspects of the Enneagram that look like astrology that I think it's fair yes. that they're kind of considered similar. And it's really um, frightening. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which takes us to the point that when we're talking about the intellectual credibility of the Enneagram, we have to ask the question of, okay, well, what claim are we making related to the Enneagram? And then we can start asking, are those claims intellectually credible or not? Okay. And people using the Enneagram have to ask themselves, is this claim that I'm making accurate or not? Is it a stereotype or not? Is it a, a broad assumption 
or not? Is it something that applies to some fours but not others? Maybe it applies to preserving fours but not navigating fours, etc. So mm. it's the precision of the claim that is important and that is the only thing that can be evaluated. Some people think that because it's not a science, they have the kind of permission to just do whatever claims they feel mm -hmm. like doing. Mm -hmm. And and it's something in between. I think that you can address the issue of, of looking similar to astrology by defining your terms correctly. How many times you have asked Mario people at conferences to define the terms and people just... I've never seen someone doing it. Or you can treat your assumptions about, I don't know, when you're typing someone as a hypothesis and then change your mind. So those things give you more credibility and they're more intellectually robust, I think, without this needing to be scientific. But mm -hmm. it's not the majority of the people who do it that way. Yeah, and just because something is not science, mm -hmm doesn't mean we don't need to be rigorous with it, right? Because I completely agree, the Enneagram is not a science. The Enneagram is nothing but a mental model. It's a construct. It is a, um, it is a map that has been created to describe phenomena that are empirically visible to people, meaning we can see them, okay? Empirical mm -hmm. means we can perceive it with our senses. So it doesn't meet, it doesn't need to meet the standards of science because no social science really does, okay? I mean, no theories about human nature do. Some are, have more scientific support than others, but all these things we're talking about are not considered a science in the classic sense. What they are are constructs. And the question is, is our construct robust and rigorous? Meaning, does it contradict itself? Or does it contradict what it claims to describe in some way? And so for me, it just keeps coming back to the only thing I can say for sure about a four is that their preferred strategy is striving to feel unique. Right? Everything else is just an interpretation or a manifestation of that in some way. And that can look really, really different in one person who has that as a preferred strategy and another who has a preferred strategy. What I'm hearing is, I think I've heard you all say this of like prescriptive versus predictive. And I suppose if someone were to use astrology as more of a prescriptive model, then fine. That's fine. Yes. That's fine. Um, I have no and, issue with that whatsoever. Right. Okay. And then some people will use the Enneagram as a predictive model. And what we're saying is it's best used in a prescriptive model, as a prescriptive model. Yeah, I think it's descriptive and prescriptive, not predictive. Yeah. It describes and tells you what could be useful for you. Describes a phenomena and tells you what you could do mm. about it but doesn't say that you will do that. Right. And, and I think that I wouldn't 
focus that much on astrology, to be honest. I think that, you know, if you want to use astrology, that's fine. To me, the problem is how you use the Enneagram. Do you use the Enneagram mm -hmm. rigorously? And the other issue is, do you combine it with things that have nothing to do with it, like astrology? In the same way that people, for example, combine the Enneagram with MBTI and try to make mm -hmm. links that do not exist. So it's, I to me, those are the two issues. Astrology in, in and it of itself, it's, I don't know, fine. It's an independent yeah. model or approach. But using it yeah. with the Enneagram is a problem or using the Enneagram in a particular way is a problem. Or assuming that there's a fixed correlation between the two is what the problem is, right? So, mm. you know, I know people who use MBTI and the Enneagram together, uh, but the ones who do it well will tell you, yeah, we haven't seen any correlations, right? Not all eights or ENTJs, for example, mm -hmm. or something like that. But there are two models that identify different aspects of the psyche, and it gives me more depth into the psyche to use multiple models. And that's mm -hmm. fine, okay? As long, again, as I don't make some fact claim about correlative tendencies between the two models. Same mm -hmm. thing with astrology, okay? But again, you know, for me, the whole issue is not so much um, whether astrology is good or bad. It's all about what fact claim are we making and does that stand up to scrutiny, okay? Mm -hmm. If we say, you know, it, you know, eights always do this, okay, let's test that hypothesis and see if it's true. So it helps to understand the, the, the nature of knowledge, right? Um, you know, in philosophy, there are three main branches, okay? So there's ontology, okay? What is the, what is the nature of a thing? All right. This includes metaphysics, for example, right? You know, what is actually metaphysics includes ontology and cosmology. Where did this thing come from? Where did the universe come from? Okay. Ontology, what is this thing? When we start making metaphysical claims about the Enneagram, well, then you're on shaky ground as far as I'm concerned, because metaphysical claims can either be accepted on faith or rejected. Okay. Plain and simple. So if you have a metaphysical claim about the Enneagram, good for you. I'm not interested. What would be a metaphysical claim? A metaphysical claim that uh, uh, the Enneagram is a set of universal laws that apply to all aspects of nature. The law seven, law five. Okay, They're not laws. Okay, I'm sorry. There's no such thing as a law three or law five, law seven, whatever they are. They're just heuristics. A law is something that works without exception. You know, there are laws of thermodynamics, for example. Those are laws because they never fail. The law of three is just a, you know, a, a, a nice, you know, metaphor. metaphor. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, so when you start making some sort of metaphysical claim like that, that these are real laws of the universe, these are archetypes that exist outside of human nature. Yeah. What does that even mean? Okay. It doesn't mean anything. You know, sounds cool. Yeah. Makes me sound like I understand something that other people don't, but 
okay, sure, fine. And there's a unicorn on the other side of the moon. Good for you. Uh, I, you know, maybe there is, maybe there's not. I don't know. So, um, so metaphysics is one area. Okay? Then we get into axiology, which is things about, is it good? Okay, is it right? Now we're talking about ethics. We're talking about aesthetics. Okay, again, these are just opinions, right? But the one that's relevant here is epistemology, right? What's the nature of truth? And what kind of fact claim are we making? We separate out subjective experience. This is true for me. I like it. Astrology works, okay? But that's different from a fact claim. That's different from an objective claim, okay? So are there subjective truths? Now, there's subjective experiences, okay? I wouldn't call them truths. And if astrology helps me, if, you know, I was going to go through a whole list of things that I think are nonsense, but I think I'll, I won't do Let's that. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> no. And you know, I would... See, I would, I've earned we, this gray hair. You know, they, yeah. <laughs> After 60 years... Uh, yeah. Oh, stop. You know, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't focus so much on astrology. I don't... I, I, I wouldn't like to make it about astrology because it's not... Let's make it about ice cream. No, 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 not ice cream, because he will say about vanilla ice cream and chocolate ice cream, and and that's that's a bad example. I've got factual opinions about ice cream. So So beef stew. No, 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 no. No, No, okay. Man, I'm striking out today. Um, So let's, I guess, let's let's bring it back to the Enneagram, and and how do we legitimize and make sure that we are doing the work to make the work of the Enneagram legitimate, serious, and able to integrate with actual other serious schools of thought of like philosophy and psychology and science. Yeah. Before, before we get there, unfortunately we, we are at a starting point where people already think that it's, like astrology and those other things, <laughs> that mm-hmm. it's not credible. Some people Yeah, do. some people. Some people do. So there's yeah. a bias already against it. So I just want to emphasize how much work we need to do to make it credible. We need to be very, very deliberate in trying to do so because we're starting from behind. I, I think in order to make it credible, people who are using it in environments that require credibility should do a couple of things, right? Number one, be really, really careful about any causal mechanisms that they're claiming. Okay. You're, you know, you're a four because your mother either loved you too much or not enough or, you know, something. Um, I was told that you might, you, you, uh, you can't be a seven because when I, at some point I considered being a seven, uh, after taking an assessment, she says, no, 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 that's not possible because in order to be a seven, your mother your mother would have had to, I mean, reject you when you were a babe. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And there are claims like that, right? And this is, you know, one of my issues around the dangers of attachment theory too, is that certain people start to jump to conclusions like that. Well, mm. fours are, you know, rejection types or, you know, whatever, according to, to attachment theory. those are big claims that, you know, are not supported by any, you know, evidence or data. So we have to be careful about that. So we have to look at any claims we're trying to make about causal mechanisms and 
make sure if we're making a claim that we can back it up. Okay. And then be very clear about what assertions we're making about types and make sure that they're not stereotypes. Right? Make sure that we're not saying, for example, that all threes are really image conscious and blah, blah, blah. Or that eights don't read. Or the eights don't read, you know, or that sort of thing. Because a lot of the claims that get made are simplistic and broad and inaccurate. And what that means is that it undermines the credibility of the system. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if we want the Enneagram to be taken seriously, we have to become serious thinkers ourselves and understand the fundamentals of critical thinking and apply them to our use of the Enneagram. A lot of this can can and should come back to humility. Yes. Because a lot of people arrive at the Enneagram feeling like they've finally found the answers and have, again, yeah, that secret, the secret knowledge that no one else has. And if a psychologist thinks that this theory about the Enneagram is is not accurate, then he just doesn't understand. And so finding a way, just reminding ourselves as Enneagram professionals or people that are using the Enneagram that like, hey, this is just one small section of how to understand the complexity of a human. How can we be more humble and more curious to engage other schools of thought, other ways of challenging what it is to to understand humanity. And be comfortable with not knowing, not having an answer. Yeah. You know, and I think that it's mm-hmm, yes. and so tempting to answer whatever get asked gets asked using the Enneagram knowledge we have. And sometimes we just don't know. When we're typing someone or when we're trying to explain certain phenomena, just I don't know, but I don't hear that often. Yeah, and because it's not in our nature to say, I don't know. And we fail to appreciate sometimes that some things we don't know simply because we're ignorant of the facts. Okay, and that's fine. Everybody's ignorant of lots of things. And there are some things that there are multiple hypotheses about. And so we have to say, well, you know, here are the main hypotheses on that, but we just don't know. And other things are simply not knowable. I believe that how we become our Enneagram type is not something that's knowable. I think it's just too complex, right? And, mm. you know, and, and, and I also want to say, Jose, you made a comment about, you know, a psychologist just dismissing the Enneagram. And usually when that happens is because they see some claim being made that should be dismissed. I mean, I, I remember doing a, uh, I was part of a leadership development program for a big company years and years ago. It's probably 20 years ago. And one of the other speakers was a leadership professor from Wharton. And he, he was a psychologist by training and a very, very bright guy. And he was familiar with the Enneagram. And he started asking me about these so-called childhood origins of that were listed, you know, in a particular book. And he said, this just sounds like bunk to me uh, because mm-hmm. it is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, so there, there's no grounding for it. So so it's, it's not unreasonable for a lot of people to dismiss the Enneagram because what they hear about the Enneagram should be dismissed. So again, it's up to practitioners to recognize that I have a responsibility to be serious 
about this and the claims that I make and the applications that I suggest. Yeah. Another thing that I think doesn't help with the credibility of the Enneagram is the origin of the Enneagram. If you say that it's 2,000 years ago, I mean, old, or 5,000, I mean, since I started studying the Enneagram years ago, it's gone from like 2,000 to 5,000. And yeah. that really doesn't help because it's not true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think that this argument will make it more robust or credible, you're wrong. I think it's mm-hmm. the opposite. Yeah, and we did a whole episode on that uh, in yeah. in previous weeks. So make sure to check that out. I'm curious. So there, you 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 said a lot of people out there, for good reason, have suspicion about the enneagram. Just think it's a, a, a little bunk. The listener out there who's who actually really finds value and and is convinced. Uh, by, of the arguments of the attachment theory and that it really resonates and it makes a lot of sense and uh, like all these, just a lot of reasons why they think this is an actual thing. And they're like, well, what you're saying is a lot of bunk. Where do we, as a community, right? How you're do afraid we hold that, that people tension? will stop talking to you, Creek? <laughs> no. I have a brand to uphold here. So. So, 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 what, so what you're saying is, what should I do when people say, well, I know you are, but what am I? Is that, is that, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, look, uh, again, I, I, I am not, uh, I, I don't mean to denigrate uh, attachment theory. There's a lot of. Um, it's how it's used. In, it's it's how it's used, and what claims mm. stem from it, right? You know, because now, and I think what's behind that article. I didn't read the article, but I've read things like it recently. It's you know there are people saying, okay, well, I I need to date someone who you know mm. has this attachment pattern or that attachment pattern, just like somebody saying, well, I should only date, you know, sevens mm-hmm. or fours or ones or you know whatever ones um well, ones yeah right <laughs> yeah um uh, so write it down creek <laughs> yeah yeah it just did um, <laughs> um it, all, it all comes down to the claim you're making mm-hmm. okay and if anybody that has any issue with anything I've said here, well, you know where to find me. Um, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> I mean, the question wasn't necessarily <laughs> in that direction, but I, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is there will inevitably always be different theories about this thing and that thing. And I, I do think there is a, there, maybe there's a name for this, but a bias where understanding our past that is perhaps unknown in, in childhood gives us a, a more sense sense of control and helps uh, articulate better the mystery of existence. And sure, there may be some neglect in your childhood. There may be some helicopter parenting in your childhood. Those are good things to notice. But but the then the jump from because that happened, this is the way I am. Possibly also doesn't matter. Does it matter that that did affect it, whether or not it, you were affected by it? How it how you were affected by it is is unknowable, 
but what it, what's left is in the present moment, you have these things that you need to work through. So what do we do? Like, so what's the next, the next thing that you, you can work on? What's that next clear step to become a more healthy, mature, compassionate human being? On top of what you're saying, there's also the risk of saying, for example, so I know I'm, I'm an eight, for example. And according to that, I don't even remember attachment theory, but I should be rejected by my mother or something, uh, or both parents, I don't know. And I may, may look at the past and see things through that lens, which is risky as well. You know, it can mm -hmm. determine how I interpret my past. So we need to be careful. And as we were saying earlier, it's not the theory that we're using, it's the claims we're making and how much we are seeing things through that lens and making, taking conclusions out of it. So it is complicated. And for example, with the centers, and I think we've talked about the centers before, if you say people with, I don't know, big heads are one of the head center types. Oh, head types, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and this is something people say. And big chests, it's heart center. You know, how can you be credible if you say things like that? It feels very reductionary and dehumanizing. It, I forget the actual term, but back in the day, like measuring people's intelligence by the size yeah, of their head. Phrenology. Phrenology, that's right. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's terrible. Um, and why would we want to continue doing that? And this is, I, I want to be really clear what I'm saying here. Subjective experience is a valid source of information in helping me understand my world. Okay. It has not only usefulness, but it has critical value. We cannot get through life without thinking about our subjective experience. The problem is when we take subjective experience and extrapolate into a fact claim. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, I feel that my mother rejected me, that is a useful thing to explore on my path for growth. Mm -hmm. But if I then start saying, well, all eights feel like they were rejected by their mothers. Well, that I've got to test. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. If I was to say, well, the reason somebody became an eight is because they were rejected by their mother, well, that's a whole nother level of evidentiary support that's required. Mm -hmm. okay? So for me, it's all about what kind of claim are you making and does that claim meet the requirements for evaluating that claim? Okay. Yeah. And that is what will make the Enneagram respectable. If people start doing that, thinking mm. about what claims they're making and ensuring that they can back up those claims. Otherwise, it's going to be lumped in with bunk. Mm -hmm. Because it is. 
Or this all could be just one giant rationalization to yeah. justify the obsession of the past 30 years of my life. Yeah. No, no, no. It is when you use it that way. You heard way. it here first, folks. <laughs> because it is when you use it that way. Hmm. Right. Right. We love the Enneagram. You know, I mean, we, I, not love in a way like we're just blind to the reality of Attached. Yeah. It's, we find it really useful. We make a living out of using the Enneagram pretty much and believe in how useful it is. We use it personally, we use it in our work. So it's not that we're trying to destroy it or anything. On the contrary, we're very concerned about making it credible. And that's why we talk about critical thinking and how to use that uh, in the, uh, when we're practicing that, when we're using the Enneagram professionally or personally. I'll just reiterate um, again, like you said, we're having this conversation for a reason. And it's because of the huge, amazing, tremendous value we see in the Enneagram in the changes it has helped us make in our lives and the changes that we've been able to use it to help clients make changes in their lives. Okay, And so because of this passion about it, because I find it so valuable, I get frustrated when I see people lumping it with other things. Mm -hmm. And when I see people who are not particularly intellectually rigorous bastardizing the Enneagram or using it in such a way that it opens it to the criticisms that will undermine the ability of others to use it in good ways. Mm -hmm. I think to... To, to sum up this podcast, um, we love everybody. And <laughs> we, <laughs> you do, Drake. You do. Look, look, yeah. if, if I have yeah, no. offended anyone's deep no. beliefs in nonsensical, <laughs> you know, magical thinking, I apologize. Um, but, you know, in six, seven years, you'll see that you're better off for it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, what I was trying to say was, let's not forget what this whole thing is about, right? So we cha we we challenge it because we are passionate about it. We love it. We love humanity. We want to see them grow and evolve and be more mature and compassionate. And this is this is why we address these things. Yes, is like, okay, whatever happened in the past happened whether it's sensical or nonsensical, right? Like, but again, coming back to the present, what do I need to do right now in order to continue to grow and evolve? And, and that's, that's all. So uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> you, if, if only people could see Creek sweating, uh, you know, as we can here. With just like, as, as if he just went through a car wash or something. I just hope know. that this episode still, gets I'm, posted at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, I'm just going to edit it down to like two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just all me. I can see him <laughs> kind of 
Losing it. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone who actually stuck around and listened to this whole thing. We love you. Goodbye. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast. 